Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. Angie here. Uh, Today, we are bringing you the second of our preseason bonus interview episodes. You guys are super lucky. These are going to be great. Uh, Mickey, how are you doing today? Super awesome, especially because I am so excited about chatting our guest today. Uh, She's one of our favorite people in the autoimmune world, and we got feedback from you guys last season that you really valued these expert interviews, and we didn't really have any in the can for you guys for the season two, but then we decided we had this incredible opportunity to interview a couple really awesome people, one of them today, and uh, and we got got her on the line for you. So Angie, do you want to tell our listeners about who this super special, amazing person is who happens to be a total rock star in our world. Yeah, sure. I would love to. Our guest today is the amazing Dr. Terry Walls, a fellow autoimmune warrior who went from secondary progressive multiple sclerosis that had left her in a wheelchair in 2003 to the vibrant dancing, uh, more on that in a minute, and world-changing lady we are honored to speak with today. Terry is the author of several books, including The Walls Protocol and her latest, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, in addition to over 60 peer-reviewed scientific abstracts, papers, and posters. She also runs a groundbreaking lifestyle clinic in Iowa and conducts clinical research that is changing how we treat MS and other autoimmune diseases. Additionally, she is behind the Walls Foundation, a nonprofit created in 2011 whose mission is to replace the epidemic of chronic disease with an epidemic of health. I love that. Uh, To say Terry is purpose-driven is basically an understatement, you guys. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show today, Terry. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So Terry, most of our readers are familiar with your stories story at this point uh, in your TED talk. And if anyone's listening goes, wait a minute, I, I don't haven't heard about that. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, just Google Terry Wall's TED talk and, and start there. It's awesome. Um, and so we know, you know, your healing has progressed considerably over time. When I actually met you at the Ancestral Health Symposium a few years ago, you showed the audience that you weren't able to raise your arms over your head. 
And last month, uh, Angie and I were hanging out with you at the NTA conference, and you were pulling some dance moves where, you know, your hands were definitely <laughs> over, your, <laughs> over your head. So, you know, your healing has increased a lot even since you've been on this journey. So um, I am always shocked at how you look younger and more vibrant as time goes on. Can you give everyone a little bit of an update about those changes that you've noticed in your long-term healing, especially since you gave your TED Talk? Sure. So I'll sort of give a, a, a quick uh, high-level synopsis. I uh, do this wonderful thing uh, with uh, biological age. Uh, and there are several online calculators that you can use that, that's pretty fun. I did mine uh, based on what my answers would have been at 52, uh, which is what my worst. And my biologic age at that point was 69, which is probably pretty accurate. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't sit up. I couldn't uh, do a push-up, but struggling to walk, you know, 10 feet and had all these markers. Uh, and so I have since calculated that biologic age using that marker and I'm down to the age of 39 I have uh, and that's pretty cool I, you know uh, when I was 39 I, I was developing my MS symptoms I was still skiing still jogging still biking but uh, I certainly could not bike as far as I can now um, so already you know then I was beginning to have some problems with the MS that had not yet you know come to diagnosis uh, and if we line up photos of me um uh, you see that, that rapid aging, uh, that uh, aggressive decline, and then you see what really looks like this stunning recovery from uh, 2007 to 2008, you know, the wheelchair looking pretty sickly uh, to being on my bike. Uh, but people have noticed that if you line up photos from 2008 and keep going, I, I just, just keep looking younger and younger. Now, my hair is still graying, so uh, we have to take, take the hair out. But uh, the quality of my skin looks younger and younger. I can uh, walk further. You know, I can get my arms up over my head. Uh, you know, I'm doing uh, push-ups. I'm up to 10. Um, so that's uh, pretty exciting for me. Uh, and, you know, I keep working closely with physical therapy. And they can keep advancing the exercises that I uh, do. Now, I, I did get sidelined last year because I ended up having surgery for some severe back pain. Uh, so since I was 60 when I had that, uh, that has taken a little bit longer to recover from than I than I expected. But still, you know, I'm out on the floor dancing, uh, I'm walking, hiking, uh, and biking once again. That's so amazing. I better stay on my game, Terry, because your biological age is only a year older than me. You're going to be younger than me soon. <laughs> you know, my, my kids are laughing. They're like, oh my God, mom. You keep, you know, are you like Merlin? You keep getting younger and younger. So, right, we, right. We have a lot of laughter with that. Um, so, Terry, at the Nutritional uh, Therapy Conference, one of the talks I attended was the panel discussion that you were on about serving diverse and working class groups. Um, yeah. th that conversation, one is, is, conversation is one that is just really extra close to my heart because I don't think healing has to be limited to certain groups or those with upper class incomes. What are yeah. your kind of top three pointers on how to make a healing diet and lifestyle work even on limited budgets or in challenging settings like maybe geographic locations with limited oh, access? Sure. You know, so for years I worked at the VA um, and uh, in my both my traumatic brain injury clinic and in my therapeutic lifestyle clinics at the VA. Most of my patients did not have money. They were on fixed incomes. Uh, now, what they did have was they had access to me, uh, so they would, could uh, come see me, traumatic brain 
to clinic, you know, uh, I would uh, see them uh, the uh, once every six months. The lifestyle clinic, we could see them monthly for a year. Uh, and we could give cooking classes in my uh, lifestyle clinic. Uh, so in the cooking class, uh, we taught people how to cook at home. I, I helped them understand that the food budget is everything you put in your mouth. It's your alcohol, tobacco, um, uh, fancy drinks, fancy coffees, lattes, uh, fast food, restaurant meals, plus your grocery bill. And we total all of that up to get a food budget. Then I let people know what we have to do is I begin cooking at home with vegetables and your source of meat. We had a different plan if you're a meat eater or if you're a vegetarian or vegan. We certainly still had people, even in the VA, who are vegetarian uh, and vegan. And uh, But really, the, the very most important thing is uh, most people have forgotten how to cook. Uh, or their lives are too pressed for time uh, or for money, uh, and so uh, they aren't cooking. Uh, so I, we spent a lot of time teaching the cooking skills. Uh, we spent time uh, teaching menu planning, uh, prioritizing, and then most importantly, how to eliminate food waste. Because uh, most Americans are throwing away 40% of our food, whether we're buying it uh, in the grocery store uh, or at the restaurant. And so learning how to better plan so we actually consume all the food we buy uh, saves a considerable amount of money. So, we're, you know, we're quite successful. We had many of our patients tell us uh, in, in the group classes, the more senior folks would tell the newbies that you can do this and save money, but you're going to have to plan. You're going to have to pay attention in our cooking classes. Right, right. Those are such uh, great tips, just kind of going back to basically some home economics 101 right there. Yeah, I can definitely also resonate with uh, taking all of the restaurant meals and, you know, all of the stuff that people think of as an additional budget expense and really looping that into the entire food budget. And a lot of people on low incomes think that, you know, their grocery budget and maybe that other budget is separate. But when you put that all together and you prepare all your food at home and you brown bag it for lunch and, you know, you don't to do those extras that are also not helping your situation when you have health problems like cigarettes and alcohol um, and coffees and that kind of stuff, um, people will find that they have a little more wiggle room there to actually afford that real food. You know, it, it's really important to have that conversation as what is your food budget? Because if, if you don't, people will see the grocery bill doubling and like it's feel very uncomfortable with that. Uh, and so we learned that it was very important to have that big conversation about what's in your food budget first. Uh, and then I'll begin to talk about planning, menus, and how we're going to make this change in an affordable way. That's great. So Terry, um, one of the things that really impresses me about you is your willingness to work within a disastrously broken system with both creativity and perseverance. I don't know anyone like you who is just like willing to dig in and get this work done. Um, at the NTA conference, you told the story about how you figured out how to recommend dietary and lifestyle modifications while working with veterans. It was a little unconventional and kind of it was hard to do within that system. And I think a lot of practitioners get discouraged or lose hope when they run up against the system. 
Uh, so you recently received a $1 million grant from the National MS Society to further your research uh, on dietary and lifestyle interventions with MS. That is like so fantastic. We're so excited for you. Um, can you tell us how you think things are shifting in the medical community to accommodate more of this research and recommendations for diet and lifestyle changes? You know, uh, I think it's very helpful to have the public awareness uh, push the medical community, the scientific community. Uh, I think it's also incredibly helpful that our awareness of how the environment is speaking to our genes through epigenetics and creating either a inflamed, sickly, disease-prone body or a resilient, disease-resistant body. So the epigenetic uh, insights are helpful. The microbiome insights are helpful in understanding how food changes the microbiome and changing the microbiome, uh, of course, changes uh, the risk for autoimmune disease and the severity of the autoimmune disease, uh, as well as uh, many other uh, comp complicated chronic health problems. So as my scientific colleagues could now measure the mechanisms by which diet and lifestyle works, they began to realize that we are not so uh, crazy in our approaches. Uh, the public pressure uh, uh, goes to their various uh, nonprofit organizations, insisting that you need to support these researchers. Uh, and that thing that I think is very telling uh, and I heard from uh, people who are big donors within some of these nonprofits that these major donors went to the organizations to say, uh, if you want to continue receiving our support, you're going to have to fund diet and lifestyle research. Uh, and so I became aware of that. I uh, wrote my protocol when they uh, put the, out their call for uh, research uh, in the dietary realm. Uh, and I was funded. I mean, and I should be, because I'm one of the few people who actually studied it in the last few years. So uh, it's no surprise that our, our research lab is very competitive. That's so great. Terry, what do you think is the key to having the public be so well-informed and push? What, what do you think is the Well, thing I think the key is, is having people who, have, who develop untreatable, incurable, devastating diseases, get hopelessly <laughs> disabled, uh, recover, have the extraordinary good fortune to do a TED talk that has 3 million views. <laughs> that that created, that experience, uh, difficult as it was at, at the time, has been this incredible gift to me and probably to humanity because it put me in a position to learn all this stuff, experience all this stuff, uh, recover. Yeah, and because um, I happen to be well-connected and I speak well, I uh, told this uh, story that's deeply resonating, uh, and then the public spread it in this pretty amazing way. Uh, and I, I think this led then, I'm sure, to millions of conversations in doctors' offices around the globe saying, what about diet? Uh, and physicians had to see that some of their patients would uh, ignore their physician's advice, do the uh, diets that, you, that the three of us talk about, and uh, see their, whatever their health problem is, get under better control. And so physicians, I mean, I've been contacted by hundreds of physicians, maybe thousands now, who said they thought it was pretty daft at first, but then they saw their patients were adopting these dietary recommendations and their patients were improving. So the doctors, at least some of them, uh, get on board and start handing the, uh, the books out. So 
I mean, it's, it's really the beauty of the internet that it, it allows the spread of knowledge of change uh, very, very rapidly. Uh, and it, it was, without the internet, I could not have recovered. Um, so that that's the good side. We could talk about the downside of the internet, which allows the spread of not helpful information uh, also. But so uh, the internet is what allows this uh, amazing speed of change to occur. Yeah, it is this incredible, incredible tool. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, Angie and I would also not Probably neither of us would have healed if we hadn't seen your TED Talk, Terry. Honestly, for, for both of us, that was really instrumental in the beginning and inspiring us. So, you know, you've inspired another whole generation of people who are out there and writing and building this community, too. Um, I have one more follow-up question on that research piece because I really do think that this is where we take this from kind of a fringe, you know, anecdote kind of situation to actually um, being in doctor's offices and being recommended. Um, do you have any advice for people that have diseases that are not multiple sclerosis where maybe they can't go to their doctor and say, hey, look at this research, um, how maybe they can be a part of this process to bringing the greater awareness? I think you could still take uh, the the uh, grant proposal, the link to um the clinicaltrials.gov that you know, describes my study. Uh, and uh, the patients can still say, you know, scientists are studying this diet. Uh, so we know that it's uh, safe and it has a reasonable possibility of helping people. I want to use this diet. Here's the book. Do you have to do any special lab tests if I'm going to eat all these vegetables? That's the, that's the whole question you have to ask. Do we need special lab tests that have to be monitored because there are some conditions where, in fact, they will need some additional lab monitoring uh, on those uh, extra vegetables. Or if they have kidney stones, they have to have a, a specific type of greens. Um, and that's really it. Because I, I think people, the medical community would want to think, we're taking out grains and legumes and dairy. Uh, that's uh, we, we call that, quote, a fad diet. It surely has to be nutritionally uh, harmful. Uh, but if we can go to our physician saying, this diet is being studied, here's the clinical trials, so we know it has, people have to reasonably say, and they have to think it has a good chance of helping people. And here's a book about that diet, I want to follow it, uh, is there any lab test that needs to be done? And of course, the vast majority of time, the answer would be no, we just watch how you do and adjust your medicines up or down as needed. Yeah, really um, asking the patients to go for it and push it forward in their doctor's offices. I think I love that empowerment piece. I think we autoimmune folks are often disempowered in our doctor's offices and, oh, and yeah. feeling like we should be put in the driver's seat. I love hearing that. You know, in, the other thing I, I, I remind people is the specialist, whether it's your dermatologist, rheumatologist, neurologist, isn't going to feel comfortable knowing much about diet and knowing much about vegetables. So, yeah, that's fine. Just go to your primary care physician, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, say, I'm going to eat nine cups of vegetables a day, or try to. You know, I know I'm small, so I may not be able to hit all nine cups. Uh, and if they aren't excited about you're eating more vegetables, fire them and get a new uh, medical team. Because you heard it universally, here, you guys. <laughs> universally, across many, many uh, scientific studies, eating more vegetables lowers your risk of you know, cancers, heart attacks, strokes. 
diabetes, obesity, autoimmunity, mental health problems. And so if you have someone who's not behind you on that, they are, um, in my mind, uh, not in your best interest and you should go find another provider. Right, exactly. I love it. Great advice, Terry. Okay, so kind of transitioning a little bit, we would love to talk to you about this new book. Uh, you know, your first book was kind of um, focused on the protocol itself. And this book yeah. is sort of uh, all about actually preparing this amazing food that you can eat to heal. Um, there's some super delicious recipes included in the book. And it got me thinking, what inspires you in the kitchen? Is it a certain ingredient, a cooking technique, a cooking occasion? What is it that kind of got your juices flowing for this newest book? Well, um, so I, I really enjoy cooking. Uh, I grew up, I'm a, a farm kid, so uh, we ate all you know, uh, meals at home. And it was very important that I, I know how to uh, cook and feel comfortable with that. Um, and then, so I've always enjoyed cooking. I was very glad as I healed that I could uh, get back into cooking. Uh, but I wrote this book because of my experience uh, in the lifestyle clinic. Uh, what my vets taught me is that for many, many people, the, the single most important uh, health-giving act I could give them was teaching them how to cook again and having them be comfortable that they could learn these skills of making menus, uh, of learning how to start with a recipe, and then feel comfortable with improvising off a recipe with what's available in season, what, what your preferences are, what you have on hand, and teaching people how to do this within their economic reality. So, uh, you know, my vets taught me that that was a vitally important thing to do. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, the next, because I've been talking with my co-writer and with my publisher about what is the next book. Uh, and then it just became uh, apparent that the next book was teaching people how to take the next step. Yeah, people love action, you know, they love to be able to do something and, and the cooking is actually the first thing that they can actually do, right? Absolutely. The cooking uh, is so powerful. Uh, and, you, and I'm very mindful that people may be pressed uh, for uh, money, or they may be pressed for time, or they may be pressed for energy because they're, they're fatigued. And so I tried uh, very much to write this book uh, assuming that people would be having to struggle with one or all three of those areas. I think that that is actually one of the most incredible gifts of this book, Terry, is actually that you've written it from the assumption that your readers, you know, intimately what they're experiencing. And that is, you know, a huge part of what we work on with people in our world, too, is just, you know, being sick and fatigued and uh, having to spend a lot of money on healthcare that you don't have. It's just a lot to kind of fulfill all those goals. And it can be really overwhelming for a lot of people. You know, it, it, you work with the chef, they make, make these wonderfully, wonderful, wonderful meals that takes me 10 hours to prepare. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just not, you know, I don't have 10 hours. I don't have three hours. I need, we need to have uh, things that people can enjoy uh, in half an hour. Yeah. And an occasional special event that, yes, you can get some help and spend a couple more hours uh, to make a very special event. But we need day in, day out, uh, simple, easy food that yeah. people can enjoy. Totally agree. Right. 
So Terry, one of my favorite aspects of your book is that you include templates instead of straight recipes throughout. Uh, I've taught a lot of people to cook over the years, and one of the biggest barriers that I see in people learning how to cook for themselves long term is people who are only comfortable cooking from recipes that call for specific ingredients they have on hand. So I have this big long list of why this is a problem. You know, it doesn't account for flexibility. It contributes to food waste. It can be more costly for them. It really teaches people to rely on these instructions instead of using their brain, being creative, um, all of those things. So can you tell us a little bit about your reasons using templates and kind of how that works in your own kitchen? Because I want people to feel comfortable uh, moving into a place where they don't need a recipe to cook. Um, And uh, to do that, uh, it's always much easier if you can uh, break it down into steps. So the first step was to create a uh, template for each uh, major food category. And I would do it according to my level one diet, level two, and level three diet. Uh, And then I gave examples of how I take the same recipe uh, and I might uh, transition between the three levels if you want to be ketogenic or you weren't ketogenic. Uh, And so we'd have several examples of different meals you could make from that template. And then we'd move on to like, okay, you know, now it's time for you to adapt this to your personal taste. Uh, So we give people um, very clear directions for simple, enjoyable recipes uh, that they can follow step by step. And we tell them how many vegetables are going to be in that recipe so they have a sense of uh, where they're at in their nine cups. Uh, And then we invite them to personalize this, you know, the herbs, the meats, the vegetables, according to what's in seasons and what is their culinary tradition. Awesome. I love that, Terry. Are there any uh, special kitchen tools that you recommend that make this a lot easier um, for people? Sure. So this is going to depend on uh, hand function. Uh, and certainly in the autoimmune world, uh, hand, you know, gripping can become difficult. Uh, and so I, 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 we have some links uh, to occupational resources for uh, hand gadgets to make it easier to cut, to hold uh, knives, uh, forks, etc. So that was one set of tools. Um, I think a uh, p- high-powered blender like a Vitamix or a uh, Blendmaster Nutribullet uh, can be very helpful. Um, a, uh, a food processor to do your grating and shredding can be helpful. Um, I, I didn't want to spend all that money on a fancy Vitamix. I, I thought, you know, who's going to spend $300 on a blender? And so I waited till my original blender died. Then I got the Vitamix, and I so enjoyed it. I thought, now why on earth did I wait a year and a half? This is just silly of me. If, if you have the resources, go get a reconditioned one. Uh, I think you'll be surprised at how much you enjoy it. They are really, really nice. So I still have mine now. It's uh, on six years, doing great. Um, the other gadget that uh, I think could be very helpful is a food processor uh, for grating, chopping. Uh, it's really nice for making uh, uh, pesto, pesto, uh, yeah, the walls fudge, uh, uh, which is a treat every family who has children, grandchildren should have, because then you could give uh, those kids something that they'll really enjoy. And if you have some as well, it's going to be good for you as well. Yeah, those are, I would agree with pretty much all of those kitchen gadgets there. Terry, do you have a favorite dish that you uh, kind of repeatedly just go back to? It's healing, it's comforting, it's 
kind of the thing that's your well, at the top of your um, list? It's going to be sort of a long list here. Um, <laughs> I love to have bone broth. Uh, so it's during the winter. We always have some bone broth going. And I'll go between chicken broth uh, and like uh, beef broth. Uh, so, uh, you know, a beef hoof uh, is ideal. A chicken feet is ideal. You can uh, get that from your butcher. Um, so that that's just a, a lovely wintertime food. Um, liver and onions uh, is so healing. Uh, we really like to have liver and onions once a week. Uh, and so I'll, I'll take between bison, uh, lamb, uh, and chicken liver. Uh, beef and pork are fine too. Uh, but uh, those are probably my uh, th- three favorites. Uh, and day in and day out, we make skillet meals. Um, so uh, I'll cook some some meat. Might might be lamb chops, and then I'll add vegetables for two more minutes, and then I, I serve. And so I can have that whole meal done, uh, including chopping my vegetables, just within thirty minutes. Uh, uh, so. Uh, a skillet meal, in my mind, is a huge workhorse uh, for the kind of meal that I have. And when I'm having friends and family over, I like to make wall fudge uh, and then uh, open up a can of coconut milk, uh, whip that up in my uh, uh, Vitamix, uh, put it uh, in a wide mouth jar in the refrigerator, get it cold. It's like a lovely uh, whipped cream. And I put a dollop of that on the wall fudge. Uh, and people are like, oh, my God, this is, th- is this really legal for you? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is this is perfectly legal. It's really good for you. It's really great for your brain. Uh, and uh, ha- so I think it's important to have uh, some treats like that that are, are can be very special food, can be great for your grandchildren uh, and your kids. It actually is healing. Right. I love that. I love when you can prepare something that's, you know, kind of a delicious dessert, a special treat for a special occasion, but it still, you know, fits into that healing template. It doesn't have to be like, uh, you know, all, all boring or, or, you know, not, not exciting and fun to eat and share with family and friends. Correct. Um, Correct. Terry, I saw that recently you took a trip to Italy on Instagram. That seems like a lot of fun with your family. Um, did you learn anything about healing or food culture there that you could share? Um, well, as a matter of fact, I did. So uh, we went went out to some uh, olive ranches uh, or olive uh, farms. Uh, and so uh, they were picking their olives. Uh, and uh, the olives that are used for olive oils are a little different than olives that are going to be used for or, uh, just munching on uh, for pleasure. Uh, so that was uh, a, a very interesting thing to observe. Uh, and many of these farms will have their uh, olives pressed, will make their own uh, small high-end uh, um, olive oil. You know, there's a lot of controversy about olive oil in the United States being diluted with less valuable uh, uh, oils uh, that are uh, not as healing as the high-end uh, extra virgin olive oils. So it's worth paying attention to the quality of your olive oil, and uh, it is a, a fabulous healing food. It tastes pretty good, too. Yeah, I, lo- I love I mean, you can really taste a really uh, a nice, high-quality olive oil. It just really adds a lot of flavor, uh, especially made uh, in dressings on salads and stuff. Yeah. That's my favorite way to get it. You know, it, it's sort of like the Vitamix thing. I thought that high-end olive oil was sort of like you know a waste of money, and then I had some. 
and we've never gone back to the other stuff since. Like, right. Yep. You know, you, people can find some creatively sourced better olive oil. So, you know, if you go to Whole Foods or something, uh, they're going to mm-hmm. have some overpriced stuff. But um, I've actually found some great olive oils at Trader Joe's and Thrive Market online. Um, and there's even some direct to consumer uh, mail mail order. You know, yes. you can buy online options that are just way cheaper than if you were going to buy them at a specialty store. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Terry, um, can you share with us some success stories from your lifestyle clinic? Sure. So uh, there's a, uh, a person I'm thinking of had rheumatoid arthritis, uh, had severe pain, and uh, was greatly, greatly struggling uh, to walk in uh, to, the car, to the hospital from the car. I uh, was contemplating uh, uh, getting a walker, a scooter. Uh, she got referred to our clinic. Uh, she, uh, we put her on uh, what really is the level four Walls diet. So uh, the Walls Paleo, but we took out nightshades as well. And uh, her pain steadily went down. She lost 60 pounds. She too looked younger and younger uh, and was up walking around uh, looking really great. Went to see her daughter who didn't recognize her in the airport because mom had yeah, lost all this weight and mom was looking well and she was up walking around uh, really very well. Uh, we've had uh, a number of folks with, uh, I'd say, you know, the most common reason people come, came to us in the lifestyle clinic was uncontrolled pain. Uh, and so, uh, success stories with, uh, many types of neuropathies, uh, people had, uh, chronic pain because of shrapnel and war injuries, uh, residuals from the amputations. Uh, uh, these folks getting their lives back, getting off narcotics, doing well. Uh, diabetes, obesity, fatty liver, that was pretty easy. Uh, we had several folks with uh, end-stage heart failure who were on the waiting list for uh, heart transplants who um, we turned around, and uh, they are functioning much better again, wow. uh, doing very, very, very well. Uh, uh, traumatic brain injury uh, folks, and you could really tell in the traumatic brain injury, uh, the folks who would embrace our program uh, they were much more likely uh, to be done with their headaches, be done with the light sensitivity, still employed, uh, and still with their family. Uh, the folks who couldn't make that change were far more likely to continue to spiral down in a, in a very negative way. And Terry, what do you say to you know doctors or people in the medical community who are like, there's no way this can work for that many things? Like people might be listening and they're like, really, well, like end stage heart failure and know, rheumatoid arthritis, so like what? And, and the dementia and Alzheimer's, like you know, uh, walls. This is this is crazy. It absolutely that approach. When I would talk this way in the beginning in 2008, it drove my colleagues crazy. Uh, because it just did not make sense to them. Now in 2017, people are like, you are such a brilliant visionary. Uh, So I I think the public has shifted. Many more of my scientific colleagues, because of the advances with the microbiome and epigenetics, see the mechanisms by which this could work. Uh, And I'm also uh, careful to say, yep, all these things have reduced the, the symptom burden in these diseases. They have reduced the need for medications. As long as they follow these dietary changes, they do well. If they stop, their symptoms will, of course, flare. So I try to be very careful not to say, uh, I cure these diseases. I can say that will reduce symptom burden 
by improving diet uh, and lifestyle. And people are, seem to be pretty comfortable with that. But the, the acceptance in the medical community is, is markedly different. Now, of course, that could be uh, a, a impact of the being at the VA in the university and them seeing our research program do well and successful grants. And you know, here in Iowa City, you know, a lot, many folks are flying the Walls diet. And the consumption of greens definitely has increased, and the consumption of vegetables have increased. You know, it's a hoot when I when I go to the grocery store. The produce managers come out and tell me, you know, Dr. Walls, every year, year after year, the vegetable and the green consumption uh, goes up in this town. And, and I just think that is so cool. They have you to thank, Terry. <laughs> I mean, uh, and the internet and all of that. It's just such a wonderful thing, which leaves me very optimistic about uh, the you know the healthcare crisis epidemic uh, that that we're all having to deal with, that more and more of the public is getting the message that food matters. I love that. And Terry, I've also noticed the same thing in my small town. So I live in a little bit rural Oregon and the local grocery store is uh, like our local version of a Walmart and they have the most incredible organic fruit and vegetable section. And they actually recently started having fresh, raw, whole turmeric. And I was saying to my husband, things are changing when you know that, you know, that kind of like basically department store (laughs) has like bulk turmeric in their uh, organic organic fruits and vegetable section, people are demanding it and they're asking for it and they're eating real food, which is awesome. And you know, exactly. It is uh, a very exciting time um, because uh, of the internet. Uh, people are noticing everyone's stories of healing uh, and we are shifting uh, public expectations around food. Now, of course, we all wish it, would, it happened more quickly, uh, but still. You know, it is happening when I think of the, where we were at in 2008 and nine when I was being warned for talking about vegetables and B vitamins and fish oil to being heralded now as this brilliant visionary at the university. You know, um, wonderful things are happening. Right. I'm, I'm actually really excited um, at the speed that it's going at. You know, I used to feel, um, I think, a little more downhearted about it, Terry. And then we talked to you a few years ago and you were like, you know, you ha- being in that system and having a much more longer view than we had. And you were saying, no, it's happening actually at breathtaking speed right now. That really changed my outlook on it. And I've had a lot more hope since then. It's awesome to watch it. Maybe Terry, you could tell us uh, what do you what do you got up your sleeve after launching this book into the world? Do you have more plans still? Oh well, you know, just wonderfully exciting things are happening. So I, I'm working on my book. Um, I'm also working on opening up a very limited private practice, um, and so I encourage your listeners to sign up to my newsletter so they can get the announcement about what we'll be offering in the private practice world. Um, uh, we'll have we have the seminar so. Every year in August, we have people coming from around the globe to hang out with us while I teach people what I've learned in the last year and how to implement the, uh, the protocol. Um, and, and we're also trying to work on creating more online uh, tools to support people as they try and implement these dietary uh, measures. So uh, more ways to get, to get help from uh, me and my team. Well, there she is, you guys, being purpose-driven, as always. We, we, we didn't expect her to just be sitting around. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Terry, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You are probably sick of us fawning over you every chance we get, but we really believe it is people like you who are going to help turn the tide of disease around the world. You guys, please pick up a copy of Terry's book. Uh, it's out now. It's titled The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. Uh, Terry, can you let our listeners know where they can follow up with you? So you could uh, go to Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Terry Walls, MD, on Twitter, at Terry Walls, uh, or on Instagram, at Dr. Terry Walls. Thanks so much, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We're honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. You can learn more about the topic we explored today. It's covered in detail in our book, The Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, along with handy self-assessments, checklists, and other useful resources to put your plan into action. Pick up a copy today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes, as this helps others find us. You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.